0: You may have never heard the name Lucius Amerson. He was a small-town sheriff in Alabama, elected in the 1960s. But as one of his former deputies, J.B. Walker, says, Amerson was a man to be reckoned with.
1: He wasn't afraid of anything. I remember a lady that knew him well, and she said, said to him, said, Amerson, you, you think you're you going to run for sheriff? And he said, yeah, I'm going to run, and I'm going to win. She said, they could kill you out there. He said, well, they didn't kill me in Korea and they ain't gonna kill me now.
0: This wasn't just any guy running for sheriff. It was a big deal because Lucius Amerson was Black in Alabama in the 1960s. And he did win. By many accounts, he was the first Black sheriff in the South since Reconstruction. And once he became sheriff... Amerson wanted to change things.
1: I think that uh, the time has come uh, in these law enforcement agencies throughout the South where brutality must end. And I feel that this is a good time to, to start right in this county is to end police brutality.
0: As sheriff of Macon County, Amerson, a black man, was the top cop, giving him unprecedented power to shape law enforcement in his county power that some people, the people who didn't like Amerson, would try and snatch away from him. From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. Every episode, we take a moment from that very same week in history and tell you the story of how it shaped our world. I'm Simone Polanen. 55 years ago this week, on January 16th, 1967, Lucius Amerson was sworn in as sheriff of Macon County, Alabama. His election was historic. It shattered the doubts of both black and white residents that Amerson could both win and uphold the office. But holding onto his power would be easier said than done. After the break, a new sheriff shakes things up.
2: Right next to the jail was Joe's Dairy Bar. And Joe's Dairy Bar made the best chili dogs in Tuskegee.
0: Anthony Amerson remembers growing up in Tuskegee, Alabama and visiting his dad at the jail.
2: So it was a treat for me to go see dad because, you know, I could get a little cash and I could go get me a chili dog and a drink and my day was done.
0: To everyone else in Tuskegee, Sheriff Lucius Amerson was one of the most powerful men in the county. But to Anthony, he was just dad. Anthony would go up to the jail on the way home from school, swing his bike into the parking lot, stop in and have a conversation.
2: Hey, how you doing? You know, hey, by the way, I'm hungry, you know, give me some cash. And, you know, he'd break me off a couple of dollars and get me a chili dog. Like I said, those chili dogs are legendary. You can ask anybody in Tuskegee.
0: You may have heard about the town of Tuskegee, Alabama before. It's famous for a few different reasons. The Tuskegee Institute was founded there by Booker T. Washington. The first unit of Black military aviators in the U.S., the Tuskegee Airmen, were trained there. And the Tuskegee Experiment, in which the U.S. government allowed hundreds of Black men in the area with syphilis to go untreated in the name of science. It's a place that tells the complicated history of Black people in America. And it's the place where Amerson raised his family. He was a short man, stocky, always in sunglasses and a uniform, first in Korea, then as a postal worker in Denver. He attended Tuskegee as a student, the first of his family to attend college. Amerson wanted new opportunities, a better salary, and a better life for his family. And it just so happened that a really great job opportunity had come up. The thing is, that job was sheriff. And for a young Black man in 1966, going for that job was a pretty bold move. Amerson was planning on running in Macon County. Alabama was the heart of the struggle for civil rights at the time. Martin Luther King Jr. was leading demonstrations across the state, a state governed by none other than George Wallace.
2: He was an avid segregationist. (laughs) In fact, he stood in front of the doors of uh, the University of Alabama to prevent African Americans from being admitted. I mean, at that time, the branding for the South was, this is... Well, I think his words were segregation today, segregation Segregation tomorrow, tomorrow, segregation forever. Segregation forever.
0: This is the political climate Amerson decided to step into. And going for a high-ranking law enforcement position, no less. In terms of a pecking order, the sheriff is one of the most powerful jobs in the county. The sheriff is in charge of deciding what crimes to pursue, what citizens to reprimand. And back in 1966, there was no record of there ever having been a black sheriff in Macon County. Not in Alabama, not in the Deep South at large, actually. Not since Reconstruction. So Amerson's intent to run really provoked the entrenched white supremacy in the county.
2: He received threats from the Ku Klux Klan he did receive threats.
0: It wasn't just white racists in the county that opposed his run. Actually, a lot of Black citizens were worried that Emerson's potential win was too much too soon, that it would piss off the white power structure, that it could lead to backlash down the line.
2: Local town officials were against him running for sheriff. They felt that the time was not right.
0: But Amerson was basically like, you know what? Fuck that noise. I'm running.
2: Lions don't worry about what sheep think. The lion is the top apex predator in the wildlife. The sheep are docile. He did not waste his energy worrying about what some of the weaker leaders had thought it was in time.
0: Amerson undercut that very sentiment. When he ran on the slogan, the time is now. The campaign kicked off. Jefferson Walker, a former deputy who served under Emerson, says that almost immediately there was intense media scrutiny.
1: I remember some of the uh, interviews at CBS, and the stations came down and performed with individuals in uh, both denominations, black and white, and they all had their opinions as to whether or not he could, in fact, do the job as a Black man.
0: Emerson's campaign was strategic. Anthony says his father visited practically every square inch of Macon County.
2: He spent the majority of his campaigning out in the rural areas, driving to people's houses, going up to their front porch, sitting down, having lemonade, talking, listening, asking people what type of support they needed. And he pledged his allegiance to
0: them. And the people he was pledging allegiance to, many of them were new voters. That's because Amerson's campaign came less than a year after major legislation that passed in 1965, the Voting Rights Act. It outlawed discriminatory practices like literacy tests that were adopted in many states after Black Americans won the right to vote. This flood of new voters... They're the ones Amerson went out to talk to.
2: He had a car. He had it outfitted with a sign, a megaphone, a PA system,
0: and that big sign plastered on the car read, "Elect Amerson for Sheriff of Macon County."
2: A registration of the Voters' Right Act. Man, it was like a it was like a gassed up Porsche ready for the highway. It was no stopping that change from happening at that time.
0: That gassed-up Porsche drove Amerson right across the finish line. He won the nomination and won the sheriff's seat. Black voters had turned out in record numbers in support of him.
1: Small events sometimes mirror major change. And one of the biggest symbols of changing racial patterns in the American South will occur in the middle of January here in Tuskegee, Alabama, when a man named Lucius Amerson mounts these steps and enters the office of sheriff.
0: Emerson received national attention for his win, and he even received a telegram from Vice President Hubert Humphrey. Congratulations, as you assume this important office. Your election has received national attention, and I'm confident your performance in office will merit national acclaim.
2: My father felt very proud of that because it gave him Uh, more insight into how important his election actually was in the United States, not just in Alabama.
0: But getting elected was just the first step. It was still Alabama, deeply divided along racial lines. As soon as Amerson took office, many white voters started questioning his qualifications.
1: What does he know about law enforcement? Does he know anything?
0: But many of the young Black voters were like, hey, deal with it.
2: Well, I think it's okay. Uh, uh, If the uh, white people uh, that's against it, they don't like it, they just have to get to like it. That's all I have to say for
0: Almost immediately, Amerson started doing things that those white people would have to get used to. Because in his very first term, He did the unthinkable. He arrested two white law enforcement officers. Years later, Amerson would recount this story in his autobiography. It all began on a humid evening on March 16th, 1968. A chief of police from a neighboring town named Bobby Singleton, a white man, arrived at a local juke joint. There had just been a fight there, and so Singleton surveyed the scene and locked eyes with 21-year-old O.C. DeVance, a young Black man who'd just been hanging out at the club. O.C. hadn't been involved in the fight, but Officer Singleton picked him and one other guy at random to interrogate. Singleton took him back to the police station, where he linked up with another law enforcement officer, a white Alabama state trooper named James H. Bass. Now, Alabama state troopers were like the mascot for oppression in the South. The cops with dogs attacking civil rights protesters, the officers standing in solidarity with George Wallace. Yeah, those guys. And this Trooper Bass had a reputation. He had killed a Black man before supposedly in self-defense during a violent altercation. But he was still serving in his position. Anthony says the officer was now interrogating O.C. DeVance and accusing him of things that never happened.
2: He made up some type of assertion that Mr. DeVance wanted to kill him. They were beating him and hitting him. And, you know, O.C. was like, "He, I don't know what you're talking about. Why would I want to kill you?
0: At some point... The men put O.C. in their car and drove out to a shooting range in the middle of the night.
2: They I think they wanted a private place they could go and they could discharge weapons without anyone having any suspicion. They started harassing him and beating him again, even to the point of discharging a pistol next to his ear. Can you imagine the sound of a firearm discharging next to your ear. That's trauma already. This interrogation that continued was they started shooting at his feet, telling him to dance.
0: Later, Officer Singleton and Trooper Bass released O.C. DeVance, threatening him not to tell anyone about what had happened. But O.C. had a different idea. He went to see Sheriff Amerson.
2: He's like, well, let me call this damn sheriff up here who's talking all this smack about he's going to provide equal justice and equality for us. Next morning, he goes down to my father's office, goes in. My father tells him, you got to file a complaint. I can't do nothing until you file a complaint. He filed a complaint. My dad uh, immediately processed the paperwork and he sent, I think, Deputy Ivy and someone else to go down there and arrest these two white law enforcement individuals.
0: This made national news. In March of 1968, Emerson stated that his office had arrested Trooper Bass and the police chief, Bobby Singleton. The complaints against them were signed by O.C. DeVance.
2: Wow. That had to be groundbreaking because at this point, there were very few, if any, Black law enforcement officials with the authority to arrest a white law enforcement official. This was unheard of. And I do mean unheard of.
0: This was the power that Sheriff Amerson had won. The power that some citizens of the county were worried about, but that other folks elected Amerson to wield. The power to hold white people... White law enforcement officers, mind you, accountable.
2: That kind of put everyone on notice that you go to Macon County, you start messing with Sheriff Amerson, you'll ask to get locked up.
0: For all of Sheriff Amerson's efforts, though, the system around him stayed firmly in place. Officer Singleton and Trooper Bass were tried, and they were found not guilty. But it sent a message to the citizens in Macon. Sheriff Amerson would exercise his power and arrest anyone who committed a crime. But if the beginning of Amerson's first term was about him trying to fulfill his promise to combat police brutality, what happened next would cast a shadow over all of that. After the break, another crime is committed in Tuskegee.
1: Lucius Amerson, the first Black to be elected a sheriff in Alabama since Reconstruction, was arrested today on a charge of beating a prisoner.
0: But this time, the blame falls on Amerson. Before the break... Lucius Amerson was elected to the role of sheriff in Macon County, Alabama. His office was covered extensively in the news, but his role was scrutinized from day one. And he'd already pissed off some very powerful people.
2: The racial balance in the county is such that, you know, the whites are suit and suit, quote unquote, in charge, but behind the scenes.
0: Anthony Amerson, the sheriff's son.
2: The Blacks were in front, in front of the camera, you know, doing things. But behind the scenes, the people that actually control what happened in the county, the landowners, the business owners, the bank owners, all of these individuals were white individuals.
0: And those people, they weren't thrilled about the moves Amerson was making. They were looking for things to use as ammunition against him. And unfortunately for Amerson, he handed it to them on a silver platter.
1: It was 9.30, to 10 o'clock that night. The sheriff, he called and said he had stopped a suspected drunk driver.
0: This is J.B. Walker, one of Emerson's deputies. It was August 21st, 1970. The driver was Wilbert Dean Harris, a Black resident in Macon County. Amerson recalled in his autobiography that he realized Harris was drunk and driving without taillights. His deputies took Harris into custody and made their way over to the jail while Amerson started doing paperwork in another room. Harris drunkenly demanded to speak to Amerson. Not long before, Amerson had denied him a permit for a pistol. Harris was mad, and suddenly he exploded and pulled out a gun.
1: He had on some khaki pants with deep well pockets. He pulled out a stack barrel Derren of 38. To put it mildly, that's when all hell broke loose.
0: Harris fired at JB and the other deputies, and the bullet went flying.
1: It went right behind me, right, you know, right below my waist into the door case and of the right at the door case. The next shot he fired, he fired into the floor. Uh, and by that time, he had the chief deputy's gun, and he actually fired it. When he fired it, at the, at the angle I was standing, it just it, it hit the floor, and the floor was solid cement, and it splattered up into my right thigh.
0: From across the hall, where Amerson was, he heard Harris calling after him. Amerson recalls in his book that when he went to go see what was happening, Harris pointed the gun straight at him and fired. Amerson fired back, and a full-on shootout broke out. Eventually, the action spilled outside the station, Harris firing at Amerson, Amerson firing at Harris. Amerson and his officers struggled to contain the situation. They couldn't successfully restrain Harris, So Amerson made a decision that would stain his career. He grabbed his own pistol and struck Harris on the side of the head with the weapon. Once again, Amerson made national headlines.
1: The charges date back to one wild night last August at Macon County's jailhouse. Sheriff's deputies say a prisoner, arrested on a drunk driving charge, pulled a gun, then held the office during an exchange of gunshots.
0: A grand jury indictment. Harris was charged for assault and intent to murder. He went to jail, but the incident raised questions about Amerson's behavior. And then, in February of 1971, Amerson and his office were indicted.
1: We ended up in federal court. Yesterday the justice department announced the indictment of the first black sheriff in Alabama since reconstruction, Lucius Amerson, for beating a black prisoner. Today ABC I was never charged but I was a key witness in the case.
0: The New York Times quoted the indictment. It read that Amerson and his deputy, quote, did willfully beat kick injure and assault Wilbert Dean Harris with the intent of imposing summary punishment, end quote. Here's Harris, the drunk man at the center of it all, interviewed on TV. Knocked me
1: down, knocked me out cold. I've stayed out for about three or four minutes. He hit you? Yes, he did, with his pistol. He hit me with his pistol across the forehead. Did that uh, hurt you? Yes, uh, had nine stitches on the outside and nine on the inside, eighteen
0: in all. Amerson went to trial in May of 1971. He recalled in his autobiography that he was nervous. The prosecution argued that Amerson was angry, vengeful, but Amerson's defense team argued that he was acting out of self-defense, and that convicting the sheriff would set a dangerous precedent. If Amerson were found guilty, that meant that any law enforcement officer in Alabama would be, quote, fair game for any drunk with a gun, end quote. Amerson was up against an all-white jury, but he was confident. While the jury deliberated, Amerson writes in his book that he looked over at his wife sitting in the courtroom and mouthed to her, it's going to be all right. The jury deliberated for just a little over an hour. And then, the verdict.
1: A jury in Alabama has found Black Sheriff Lucius Amerson and his Black chief deputy not guilty of charges that they beat a Black prisoner. The jury was made up
0: of 12 whites. Amerson was acquitted, but he had a theory about why this effort against him had happened in the first place.
1: This charge is the result of a desperate effort by a band of willful men who are obsessed with the idea that Black men must not hold public office in this county.
0: And it turns out, he might have been right. Amerson's son, Anthony, says that during the trial, his father had discovered that some of the people in the county had been coaxing the victim to file charges against him in the first place.
2: It was a group of people that were Against having a sheriff, and they wanted to take an opportunity to pull him down a notch. Remember, at that time, my dad was walking around as the top dog in the county.
0: In a signed statement, Harris wrote that he had never wanted to file charges against Amerson, that he requested the charges be dropped, but the U.S. attorney in Montgomery told him that wouldn't be possible. He also said that he'd been approached by a group of Macon County residents who had tried to persuade Harris into filing charges.
2: My dad actually had a written confessional from Mr. Wilbur Harris.
0: On a piece of notebook paper, Harris wrote,
2: I, Wilbur Dean Harris, do solemnly swear that the following persons have sought to encourage me to file charges against Sheriff Lucius D. Emerson for violating my civil rights on August 22nd, 1970. Hmm. Wow.
0: The people Harris listed who had pressured him were seven white and two black residents of the county— He said most of them were aspiring business people who may have wanted to ingratiate themselves with the sheriff's powerful white opponents. But in the end, their attempt to bring Amerson down failed. He would serve as sheriff for 20 years in Macon County, all the way to 1987, a tenure that would pave the way for many others too.
2: Him running for office opened the door For so many other individuals to step in and take a role in providing justice to their communities where they didn't have it before.
0: Lucius Amerson's story is prismatic in a way. Depending on where you shine the light, it yields a different luster. On one side, there's Lucius Amerson, the hero, the breaker of barriers.
1: Black man that was a sheriff in a southern county, it should not be forgotten. You know, that there, there are people in history that you just don't need to forget. We I want you to respect what he
2: did and respect the
1: man.
0: Then there's Lucius Amerson, the civil rights pioneer.
2: It's all equality if we have the right to vote. Once that was the goal. But they produced a political victory that got nationwide attention and coverage. And people that heard about his election had inspiration and hope. That exercise was a political victory for those students at Tuskegee at that time. And my father just so happened to be at the right place at the right time.
0: But viewed from another angle, standing where we are today, a much more nuanced story emerges. It's hard to reconcile Emerson's historic win and the reality of the institution he belonged to. I mean, we've seen so many examples of police abusing power. So it makes me wonder, what does it mean to gain representation in an institution like that? one that in recent years has been propelled onto the national stage for its modus operandi, its disproportionate targeting of Black and brown people, its force and brutality used against citizens, brutality that Emerson himself was accused of. He won power, but what power did he win exactly? His story is complicated, but the road to change often is. In this case, that road is a literal one. This week, a section of highway which runs through Tuskegee, Alabama, will be named after Macon County's first black sheriff. It's called Lucius D. Amerson Memorial Highway. And it's fitting, I think, that a road is where this story lands. Because it's not a destination. It's an ongoing stretch that we continue to pave forward. And there's a long and uncharted journey that lies ahead. It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was produced by Amy Padula. Next week, the first and last Queen of Hawaii. Queen Liliuokalani taught our people how to protest. She said, no violence. Even faced with the biggest loss, even in the face of evil. The rest of our team is producer Sarah Craig, our associate producers are Julie Carley and Ramoy Phillip. Laura Newcomb is our production assistant. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Maura Waltz, Andrea B. Scott, and Zach Stewart Pontier. Fact checking by Jane Ackerman. Sound design and mixing by Hansdale Shee. Original music by Sax Kicks Av, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toko Liana by Coco Co. With music supervision by Liz Fulton, technical direction by Zach Schmidt, show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stewart-Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Abby Ruzica. You can read Lucius Amerson's autobiography, co-written with his son Anthony Amerson. It's called Great Courage, the First Black Sheriff in the South Since Reconstruction. Special thanks to Anthony Amerson, Michael Harvey, Alex Kaysar, Brian Lansberg, Frank H. Lee, J.B. Walker, Jefferson Walker, Bethel Habte, and to Lydia Polgreen, Dan Behar and Clara Sankey, Emily Wiedemann, Liz Stiles, and Nabil Cholampot. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. Click the little bell next to the follow button to get notifications for new episodes. You can follow me on Twitter, at Simone Palanen. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week.
2: Some of his favorite groups were Miles Davis, Stephanie Mills, Teddy Pendergrass. I remember many, many days as a child coming home and just hearing the hi-fi system just blasting all of the, the string instruments, the trumpets. I mean, he loved his music.